Welcome to Reset with Amber Lyon. Today we have a very special podcast because we are live in the Amazon rainforest at an amazing ayahuasca healing center, the Spirit Quest Sanctuary, with owner and maestro Howard Lawler, also known as Don Howard. And I have had the pleasure of sitting in four ayahuasca ceremonies with Don Howard, who is a true master at, at what he does. It's It's been like watching... Uh, a famous artist painting on a canvas, watching him work these ceremonies. And not only does he respect the tradition of ayahuasca and the sacred medicine, but also those coming in for healing. And, and I've witnessed some incredible transformations here in this room in the Maloka, uh, not only with others in our group, but also personally. I've had a lot of healing and insights on this trip, uh, thanks to the work of Don Howard and Don Robert. And, um, and I, I can't thank you enough. I'm sure you've already noticed <laughs> my transformation uh, since coming here. One of the biggest things I've noticed is my mind was racing, racing, racing. I, I tend to get in this, this chatter race and, and not be in the present moment. And the medicine has really calmed that down for me, shown me ways to not only calm my mind, but also uh, for the first time really in my life, show love for myself. Mm. And, and that's just been so profound to know that in in one week that I could have such such a dramatic transformation. So uh, I'll get more into my personal story of healing with Don Howard, but but first I'd like to just download your knowledge <laughs> <laughs> for our listeners. Uh, so many of them are just coming into the world of ayahuasca, just learning about it for the first time, and and they're like sponges. They want to absorb everything they can about this incredible sacred medicine and. Something I'd like to get from you is, is what do you think ayahuasca is? What, what, what is this, this sacred brew? Well, ayahuasca is, is perhaps the quintessential holistic medicine in that it works uh, dramatically, sometimes subtly, other times dramatically in healing um, specific needs of each person in the realm of the body, mind, and spirit. So it works in all these areas, um, sometimes simultaneously in two or more, and sometimes just in one focal area according to the need of the person. I think ayahuasca is most effective at treating when it comes to, to Westerners. Why are so many Westerners seeking ayahuasca at this point in history? Uh, well, some people come for physical healing, others come for emotional or, or psychological healing, and others come for spiritual healing. Probably the most widespread need that most people seem to have is um, to quench their th spiritual thirst, to find something meaningful in their lives that fills that void or that need for something more substantive than, than the material rewards of life. Um, in terms of pathology, probably the most common condition uh, people bring to ayahuasca in particular is depression. And, uh, or some sense, some degree of depression. And ayahuasca is without a doubt the most effective treatment for depression known to man in terms of affecting in the great majority of cases a complete cure or at least setting people on the road to uh, full healing, um, enabling them to be independent of, of uh, chemical support or, or chemical maintenance uh, such as with uh, antidepressants, anti-anxiety medications. And then the other area that uh, ayahuasca has uh, uh, 
very observable effectiveness is in neurophysiological disorders like uh, Parkinson's disease, multiple cirrhosis, uh, conditions of that nature. Why do you think ayahuasca is so effective at treating depression? I know, according to some statistics, uh, about 10% of women in their 40s and 50s are on some type of depression medication, potentially 10% of all U.S. adults. So this is, a, we're nearing a phase of, of this being an epidemic, uh, especially in the United States. Why is it that ayahuasca is so effective in helping people heal from depression? Well, ayahuasca works actually in two ways. One is physiological in, in uh, effectively normalizing the uh, serotonin mechanism in the brain, in the production of serotonin, producing a, an equilibrium um, that generally immediately or very quickly alleviates the symptoms, the manifestations of it. But it also produces a normalization of that function so that uh, it simply works thereafter in a, in a more normal fashion. Not too much, not too little, but just, just uh, to produce the proper balance. At the same time, ayahuasca enables a deep um, personal psychoanalytical process that enables people to go into their inner consciousness, the subconscious or unconscious mind, to uh, identify and connect and find catharsis and closure with the uh, factors that have caused them to become depressed in the first place. So it really addresses both cause and effect and uh, works both in the psycho, uh, psychological arena as well as in the physiological realm. So it's actually getting in the brain and kind of changing the brain chemistry in the serotonergic system? Changing the brain ke chemistry, but, but normalizing the brain chemistry, not altering it artificially as, in, as is the function with uh, pharmaceutical antidepressants, for example. Um, but uh, the indications are that it actually uh, heals that uh, biochemical process which alleviates the feelings and the resolutions afforded by the psychoanalytical process it enables people to uh, experience a clean start and uh, you know a fresh fresh perspective in their lives it's interesting you say that because when I first had my first drink of ayahuasca I felt it crawling through my brain and mm -hmm. and it, it almost felt like like a fizzing in my brain and mm -hmm. and the medicine was telling me I just heard this voice telling me I'm just just in here cleaning house <laughs> restructuring fix, fixing things your brain chemistry is a little out of whack because I was suffering from symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder just very anxious and I felt it going in and and it felt like that's what it was doing and and so you're saying that that is what it what it does it's that's, pretty fascinating that's, that's my my uh, perception of it both personally and subjectively and what I've seen with literally thousands of people who've come to work with us here at the sanctuary to seeking healing for those very very uh, problems and issues and of those thousands of people who've come through here with depression and, and left healed can you think of a particular story that stands out in your mind of an individual and uh, how they came can you describe how they came here at your sanctuary, how they started, you know, what their, their mental state was like, what they discovered during their experience, and, and how they left here? Well, the, uh, the, the, the scenario is pretty consistent with everybody who comes. Obviously, their own, their own issues and their own life history is, is unique, but the uh, patterns are, are very much the same. People have found... Uh, themselves um, at an impasse in life. 
They are no longer able to experience joy and happiness uh, beyond the superficial level. And often they've um, uh, allowed themselves to sink into a state of despair and hopelessness and, and uh, are, are pretty much ready to give up or they've resorted to the uh, pharmaceutical alternatives, which is little more than a Band-Aid for the condition. It alleviates some of the symptoms, but it, it doesn't restore one to a, uh, a normal, positive, dynamic state of, of holistic health. And so actually the first step in this process is to help people get off the medications that they are taking ostensibly to relieve their condition, but which in many cases actually makes it worse. So can can ayahuasca, doesn't ayahuasca not like prescription medications? And no, it interacts poorly no, with them? They're, they're uh, dramatically contraindicated. So it's very dangerous, in fact, for one to take ayahuasca with uh, even even residual traces of pharmaceutical antidepressants in, in their system. So the first step to work safely with ayahuasca is to clear the medication. That usually takes four to six weeks, depending on how long the person's taken the med and uh, what they're taking. And then there's a gradual reduction in dosage until they're clear of it, and then they need to be clear for two or three weeks, ideally, before they uh, begin to, to work with ayahuasca. That, assures at least that there will be no uh, serious uh, side effects or contraindications resulting from a crossing over of those effects. And so when the person comes in, they, they clear themselves of these prescription medications, and they're ready to try the ayahuasca. They come to your center, and can you describe typically what, what happens uh, during that process and how they leave uh, here well, feeling? Well, the first thing is, is a... a um, a training, an orientation in, in the uh, techniques one needs to apply in working successfully with ayahuasca. Um, there's much more to ayahuasca than what's in the cup, and it's a dynamic interaction with one's state of being at the time you take it, and also um, dramatically influenced by the preparation one makes beforehand. And key to that preparation is the conscious formation of an intention. Uh, to come into that uh, into that relationship. Um, the other is um, beginning to focus on stilling the mind and uh, letting go of all the uh, the monkey chatter that most people engage in most of the time. Uh, the active mind, as it were, the, an the critical analytical mind. And finding a space of stillness in that and moving the center of one's consciousness into the, into the heart space, which is where all the healing really emanates from there and, and really occurs uh, in that aspect of our consciousness. So the mind is something of an obstacle, really, when uh, uh, preparing to work with ayahuasca. It's, it's not a mind thing, in spite of the, the, the common Western take on it, on this and on similar uh, processes is that um, it's something we do in our minds, but actually that's um, an obstacle that we we have to try to get beyond in order to get to the real core of our healing. And so, when the individual drinks that first cup of ayahuasca, can you describe that process? What is happening? I've it's hard to put into words because you you enter this dreamlike state. It's very mystical, 
And I, and I feel like, you know, as you've mentioned, I, I feel like it's doing a disservice to it to try to describe it in words and in science when it is so mystical and, and beautiful. But can you explain to someone uh, who has never tried ayahuasca, what happens to that person after drinking that first cup for that next four hours? Well, the, the, the first phase of most people's relationship with ayahuasca involves a deep process of purification or cleansing. And actually, for most people, uh, in their first encounter with ayahuasca, it's not particularly pleasant and blissful and even positive. Sometimes a lot of negative things come up. Uh, and that's because people have a lot of negative things in them. So ayahuasca is like a, um, <clears throat> a very, very uh, insightful psychotherapist that knows uh, the patient better than the patient knows themselves. So a lot of times things come up that people realize is in there but have not been able to confront or really bring to the forefront. They've, they've relatively successfully suppressed it uh, through much of their lives, but it's still um, wielding a negative influence in their lives. And so this is usually the first thing that happens um, is, is a purification and a bringing forward of that which has been suppressed in the subconscious. And the, the um, nature of the experience uh, varies tremendously from person to person. There's no way to predict it. There's no way to, um, uh, to uh, that is to say, there's no way to predict the kind of experience that anyone's going to have in any given encounter. Uh, so the technology really is to um, prepare um, the mindset, the heart set with guidance before the ceremony, prepare a setting that's uh, safe, supportive, and conducive to people uh, letting their defenses down and finding themselves in a, in a position to really surrender to the medicine rather than resist it, rather than to try to make it what they want it to be. Uh, in this day and time, the attitudes uh, that people bring to ayahuasca are, are more diverse now than ever before. And um, so it's very important that people have some idea of what they want to uh, acquire from it, um, a result-oriented intention, rather than simply a curiosity to, to see what it's like or, or to pursue it merely for the experience. The experience is a means to a greater end and really isn't an end in itself. So people who approach it in the right way with the right intention and are willing to do the work we never say we come to play with ayahuasca. It's always work mm -hmm. with the medicine. I can attest to that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and that's, it's and not that's easy. Because, that's because it's not easy. It's a challenging undertaking. And um, it's an under, a challenge that, that the majority of people have the capability to, to meet and to uh, undertake successfully. But there's a certain... Uh, there, there's a... Uh, a small percentage of people who are just not wired right for ayahuasca and uh, for whom it, it's not a not only not a safe and necessarily productive medicine to use but it can be also dangerous that's what i always try to say this is not the be all and end all it's not this miracle cure it doesn't work i've had people write me emails and say that they've come down and tried ayahuasca and they felt 
the experience was horrific. And then they got on a plane the next day, you know, and left. So I, I think it's really, I agree with you. I think it's, it's really, if you feel that calling inside your body and, and really feel called to the medicine and, and respect it, then, then you may be one to receive healing, but, um, but it doesn't work for everybody. It doesn't work for everybody. And I think the personal relationship is really based on that calling. Mm. Calling is a, is a mysterious and mystical thing, and it transcends all uh, of the common barriers that people, uh, by which people separate themselves from others, you know, um, nationality, ethnicity, race, sexual preference, age, uh, all of these are really irrelevant. It, the, the important thing is the uh, nature of the intention of the individual, what they bring to the medicine, because it's very interactive. It's primarily interactive in the internal arena. Uh, the externalization of it begins to show up uh, after the intensive work is over and you go into the integration, which is an open-ended process that like, usually lasts months or longer. One could say that one continues to integrate ayahuasca for the rest of your life because it, uh, it has a way of continually presenting itself in everyday situations with um, insights and perceptions that often in the ordinary uh, realm of consciousness one would not notice or not pay much attention to. So there are lessons all around us and ayahuasca continues to reveal those things for a long time after the intensive work is over. So we're talking about the work. I mean, you've described that ayahuasca is not easy. Like this is not coming down to try a drug or get high. Right. It is it is a medicine, and it's very difficult when you're on it, but then you reap rewards for, for years or maybe a lifetime later. And, and I think it's beautiful. That's the way a medicine should work. It shouldn't be easy when you're on it. It should be difficult. So you're processing all of this trauma and negative energy, and then so later you're, you're feeling better. And, and I know some people refer to the throwing up and the diarrhea as getting well because you're getting rid of, of those toxins. When people drink ayahuasca, what what is it that they're seeing? What what are they seeing and experiencing? Well, everybody that drinks ayahuasca doesn't necessarily see anything in terms of visually. Uh, seeing can be realized in uh, feeling, as opposed to a visual a, a visual uh, interaction. Probably the thing that's most overstated and overemphasized about ayahuasca are the visions even though that's the most dramatic aspect of it and the thing that people uh, often want to experience the most is they want they want to have a vision they want to know what a vision is and um, ayahuasca actually doesn't induce visions uh, it reveals through an opening of the heart and and a connection with deeper consciousness and for um, <clears throat> A high percentage of people that manifest uh, in the form of some visual experience, visual uh, journey, <clears throat> but it's not inevitable. Some people have a higher propensity for that than others. And um, it's not an essential component to the effectiveness, to the healing properties of, of ayahuasca. People who have strong vision sometimes become infatuated with that aspect of it. <clears throat> and um, sometimes realize less uh, life benefits than people who have less visionary experiences but are really receiving the medicine in a 
a gracious way without uh, putting any demands or expectations on it. Um, so that comes back to what people bring to it, the intention uh, for the work, um, their ability to let go of expectations based on what they may have heard about it. Uh, ayahuasca is rarely, in the experience of it, what people expect, no matter what the expectation is. It, it generally presents itself in ways that are unexpected. So expectation can sometimes interfere with that process because it leads to uh, demands uh, or, or um, lack of satisfaction because it wasn't what was expected. It didn't happen in the way they've, they've heard it's happened with other people. Probably the best way to come to uh, one's personal work with ayahuasca is with as little input as possible uh, about the experiences of other people so that you can have your own experience unimpeded by that expectation. And how is ayahuasca beneficial at helping people pull up repressed memories from childhood? I know so many people are carrying around childhood trauma that's been in the driver's seat their entire lives, and, and they just don't realize that this is what's at the core of, of a lot of, of their problems. And I know that ayahuasca, even for me personally, has been very effective in, in helping me reprocess my childhood. How, how have you seen that play out here in the Maloka? It, it's an amazing tool for uh, regressionary therapy. And it, um, when the time is right, it's not something that one can come and drink and, uh, and then just uh, necessarily commandeer the trajectory to take, take you there. Ayahuasca has a, 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 an uncanny ability to know when, when the time is right and uh, when the person is ready to undertake that uh, regressionary process to go back to where the beginning of their their um, personal issue began, often in, in some uh, childhood trauma scenario. And usually the experience is one of, of reliving that experience, but from a uh, somewhat detached third-person perspective, almost as an observer, observing yourself in that life situation. Some And often it's something that you've virtually forgotten the details of in your in your conscious mind but everything's recorded <laughs> everything is in our subconscious or inner conscious I, I think that's the problem so people think oh well he won't remember it it just happened when he was a child I, I spoke with one individual who was molested as a child and his parents knew it and and just thought he'd forget it and then he was on um, he had taken an LSD experience and it came up and he remembered everything that had happened to him at mm -hmm. age 25. Mm -hmm. And his parents, he went and questioned his parents about it afterwards and they said, oh, well, we thought you had forgotten. Oh, we were hoping you'd just forget. But you're mm -hmm. saying that no matter what, you remember everything that happened to you in your life and you need to process that? No one ever forgets anything. Uh, you may not have a, a clear recall in your conscious mind, but everything that's happened to us from birth and even before birth is a part of our, I guess you could say, our, a part of our primal mem memory. <clears throat> and so, um, actually, a core of psychotherapy is to use um, various types of methods and, and techniques to help people recover those connections. And uh, healing always occurs at the source or, or where the cause of the condition began. So. Um, the superficial approaches may bring temporary relief, but they usually don't get to the real core of the issue and they usually don't affect healing. So uh, <clears throat> this is an accelerated or potentially accelerated form of, 
very deep psychotherapy that can happen in a period as short as um, eight or ten days uh, for some people. In some cases, um, a cycle of work followed by a period of integration, then a return for another cycle at some later time, you know, that might be several months later, may be necessary to complete that cathartic process and uh, enable one to find closure to whatever that issue was. A big part of which is finding um, an absolution of personal guilt and a deep sense of forgiveness, uh, particularly if, if uh, that trauma was uh, acted upon a person by another person. So it's finding a deeper understanding not only of what happened to you but why it happened and often one sees the um, the perpetrator of that to have been a victim themselves of the same thing. So in many cases, those are those are just behaviors that are passed uh, from generation to generation until someone has the opportunity to break the cycle. So ayahuasca has a profound capacity for uh, uh, finding a way to get to the actual core of the problem and and. Uh, finding closure, bringing a healing, a true healing. When that happens, people rarely revisit. They may have a memory of what happened, but it's no longer uh, affecting their lives in a negative way. Isn't that amazing that simply remembering something and, and reprocessing it can transform your entire life? Just that simple, sometimes one minute long act, <laughs> you know? But, uh, and, and that, for me, it, it really helped me process my parents' divorce as a child. I didn't realize I had internalized so much, much of that. Like you're saying, you don't f ever forget it. And so I'd go back and I'd relive, I'd see myself at age four and I'd relive their fighting and, and my dad leaving the house and all these memories I, I didn't even know I had. And, and just simply doing that and letting that go, I, I just feel like, you know, bricks have been taken off my shoulders and I just feel a, a calming sense of peace. Yeah. And, and that's why I am so in love with this medicine, because I see the potential for so many people out there who are, are just suffering with all of this trauma that we just never process in the West. So it's been fun to watch you behind the altar working, and, and I'm, I'm always wondering what's going on in your mind during an ayahuasca ceremony, because sometimes I see you with your eyes closed, mm -hmm, you're nodding your head, you're smiling, and I, I'm just fascinated with what, what's going on in the mind of an ayahuasca healer, as, as all of us are drinking the medicine? Well, to be, to be honest, there's not a whole lot going on in our minds <laughs> because the connection is deeper than the mind. So the perception is, is the energy. The, the, first, the first perception is, is uh, feeling and sensing the energetic state of each person present in terms of... Um, how much they're in their head, how much they're, uh, how, how relaxed, how trusting they are, how much fear they're, they're feeling, either subliminally or overtly, and um, determining everybody's readiness for what's to unfold. And then it's a matter of um, preparing each person uh, with, with a protection, it's a spiritual protection that not only provides an energetic shield against external negative influences, but it also provides a, uh, a deeper sense of um, security and support, personal security and support, which has a calming effect. 
uh, it's very important to try to come to ayahuasca in as calm a state as you can with as little anxiety or fear, even though everybody who comes to it for the first time usually brings some of that. But um, as one gains experience, you realize that there's nothing to fear but fear itself. And uh, so long as you're in a, a safe space, uh, in a process conducted by someone who has experience, uh, knowledge, skill, compassion, uh, love in their heart for themselves and others, and a high degree of integrity, then the typical scenario or the progression of the work is is positive, even though it may be challenging or difficult. Even in a challenging and uh, uh, difficult scenario, uh, one may experience uh, all the, the entire gamut of human emotion and feeling and uh, perception of positive influences as well as negative influences. Um, ayahuasca, ayahuasca inevitably reveals to everyone sooner or later uh, some aspects about their dark side or their, uh, <clears throat> their um, the negativity that they, that they hold and harbor within them. And that's a way of, of knowing what that is and finding ways to uh, gain, gain mastery of that. You know, no one ever completely removes it from their being, but uh, it need not do be dominant in anyone's life either. So it's about restoring balance in that sense. It's the yin-yang uh, sense of, of uh, balance of, of energy. So you can see people's energy when the lights go off and we're all sitting in the, in the maloka? Uh, the visualization of that is probably um, not the most important aspect of it. It's sensing and feeling, and it's not, necessarily, it's not necessarily something one sees every time. One of the reasons traditional ayahuasca work is, is uh, an ayahuasca ceremony in traditional shamanic practice is uh, almost always done in, at night in the dark so that the uh, luminous bodies and the energy fields can be more clearly seen and, and um, diagnosed in terms of the state of health and the state of stability that each person has. So uh, in a very real sense, everybody glows in the dark in an ayahuasca ceremony, and some, some people uh, in attendance can also see that, but everybody doesn't necessarily uh, isn't attuned to perceive that. And say so you see that someone has an energetic problem. How do you, uh, as a healer, how do you fix it? Well, by working the medicine. You know, for the most part, the medicine is at work in the ceremony, and there's not necessarily a proactive response required uh, in most cases. In most cases, it's simply providing the guidance and protection, and the Akaros serve as the, uh, as the uh, grounding mechanism, if you will, the guide uh, through the auditory channel, and if, if a person begins to show signs of agitation or undue stress, then we have ways of reducing the intensity of the medicine in the moment. Uh, through or, the songs? Through, through uh, using the shakapa and, and uh, ikaros mm -hmm. uh, and tobacco. Tobacco has a calming property. It's a, it, it has a protective energy. And um, tobacco is the um, c 
companion plant that is most widely associated with shamanic practices of, of virtually all kinds in the New World, uh, ayahuasca being one of those. How much do spirits, I know this is very mystical, and it's, it's definitely opened my eyes to a the real world. <laughs> I think we, we want to pretend in the Western world that, that magic and spirits don't, don't exist and that's all hocus pocus. But for me, what's been really exciting and, and brought me a lot of hope and excitement in life is, is knowing that that's not the real world, that box of, of everything being black and white, but this is the real world, a world of, of spirits and, and magic and mysticism. How, how much do spirits play a role in, in an ayahuasca ceremony? Work with ayahuasca involves a technology of communication with um, unseen elements within a parallel universe. It's perhaps one way to envision it. Um, in ayahuasca work, there's much more emphasis on uh, uh, propitiating and communicating with spirits, meaning the spirits of plants, spirits of animals, uh, spirits at a more um, at a more organic level, somewhat more organic level. Um, the Akaros themselves are learned through a process of dieta, which is done in isolation, which enables one to still the mind sufficiently and heighten one's um, energetic sensitivity to a degree uh, which enables them to actually form a, uh, open a channel of communication with the consciousness of plants, uh, with the consciousness of other animals, uh, with the consciousness of the elements, uh, and perhaps most directly, um, the earth itself, but um, to communicate with the spirit of water, to realize the water, earth, air, fire, all are conscious entities with uh, um, the ability to teach us as well as um, bring medicine to us. And so these plants, so the Ikaros is calling in plant spirits and healers to, to heal the people in the room? To, to participate in the, in the healing ceremony. The um, Ikaros are something like a key to, the, uh, to a portal that opens um, to enable energy to move through from a supernatural to a natural realm or from the metaphysical realm into the physical realm. And that is, that is based mainly on, the, on a personal relationship that the Curandero has with specific healing spirits. Uh, so this is pretty central to the, to the concept and practice of, of traditional ayahuasca shamanism. So when I, I've felt that before, when I've been on uh, working with ayahuasca, I've felt that there have been like spirits on me like little doctors or, or beings just working on my body um particularly this session i felt it at one point on my head like i felt like there was just like little doctors working on my head and i could feel this pressure um so this is true i'm not just imagining this I'm, there's actually plant spirits going around the room to each individual just like little doctors working on them yeah and it's it's interesting you use the word little doctors because here in the amazon they're called doctorcitos okay and that literally means the little doctor or or um, a re it's a reflection of a relationship of endearment or there's a certain affection one uh, <clears throat> has with the 
with the doctorcitos that are called into the ceremony to participate in the healing process. Usually in a ceremony involving a, a group of people, the same doctorcitos are not necessarily uh, the, uh, helpful for everyone present. So usually different doctorcitos are invited into the ceremony, usually by calling their names in the opening Icaro. And um, so um, usually by the end of the first hour in the ceremony, the room has filled up with more presence than it started with. And people typically have a sense of, of uh, other entities or other, other beings present beyond the, the human attendance. Sometimes standing nearby, sometimes actually working on them as you've described. And um, often that is brought into even greater focus through the specific work of the Corindero with the, with, uh, the individual. Some of that is affected through the group work and some of it comes in through more focal work with, with individuals, particularly people with special issues or problems. In most ceremonies, the majority of people uh, <clears throat> receive the healing in their place without uh, uh, a great deal of special attention, whereas other people with special conditions or needs may be brought to the healing mat, for example, and given uh, special procedures that are appropriate for their needs. This is just, it's so exciting for me because I, I grew up being told, as so many people have, that this doesn't exist, that, that all this magic and spirits, it's just not, it's, it's made up. And something I've seen and coming in through the scope of an investigative reporter who was skeptical of everything, I've really seen magic, magic happen uh, with the ayahuasca. And I felt like those Dr. Citos were working on my body and healing me. What would you say to someone who says this is all in your mind? You guys are just making this up. This doesn't really exist. Well, that perception would be based on what people are not aware of, not based on what they are. So it's a, um, uh, I guess it's a perceptual blockage that people have and, and people who are very strongly ensconced in their uh, left brain uh, rational analytical mind are uh, naturally skeptical of anything that can't be seen or, or proven by some um, scientific method or, uh, or, or if no other um, basis, just uh, based on their own perception. But a lot of people have come into this work with that skepticism and have changed their mind after a few personal encounters with it. You know, it, it, it at least has opened their mind and hearts to greater possibilities than they previously thought uh, to be the case. But it's, um, it's really a matter of, of what one is seeking from the medicine. Uh, perception is a great part of everyone's reality. So it's kind of breaking down those barriers of uh, material perception uh, so that people can be aware of, of things that are less, less tangible but just as real as what they uh, normally think of as consensus reality. And why is it, do you think, that these plant spirits want to heal humans? Why do they 
Why do all these Dr. Sitos come to the come to the ceremony to help us? Because we ask them, because we invite them. You know, it would be um, presumptive to think that they otherwise have any special agenda to do that. You know, they're in service to people if they uh, receive the call and are petitioned in the right way. <clears throat> but I think uh, I, I I would not assume that they are simply waiting at the door waiting to come in because they want to help us. They're at our beck and call if we petition them in the right way. You were saying earlier some people come in with, with not just ayahuasca isn't just used to treat anxiety and depression. Some people come in with back problems, with Parkinson's you were saying, and you've mm -hmm. seen it heal them mm -hmm. as well? Yeah, yeah, quite dramatically and rather quickly. Uh, you know, and, and you know, healing as a general process, and especially with these plants, is, is rarely instantaneous. It's not just one epiphanic moment where suddenly the healing is done and people are uh, dramatically transformed in a moment. More typically, it precipitates a process. And it's an accelerated process, but it often takes uh, days, sometimes weeks, sometimes even longer to run its course, be fully realized by the person. Um, but ayahuasca has a remarkable range of, of efficacy in treating a wide range of conditions and needs. But that said, it would be incorrect and, and um, somewhat misleading to claim that ayahuasca cures everything. Uh, it doesn't. And that is often said by people who know a little bit about it, but not a whole lot. If they knew, if they had really deep knowledge, they'd know that like every medicine, it has its scope of efficacy, but it also has its limitations. <clears throat> so there, there are conditions and there are people who simply aren't ready to receive it to its fullest benefit, <clears throat> who get uh, less, less benefit from it. It doesn't work equally with everyone, and that's in large part due to the uh, interactivity of it. Some people want to experience ayahuasca, but they're not really, really ready to surrender to it. <clears throat> And once they come into it and the um, connection begins to form, then they want to either fight it or run from it. And that kind of defeats the purpose of it. It requires, uh, in its best moments, uh, a high degree of trust, uh, a significant amount of courage and will and strength. And those are things that one cannot find sufficiently in their minds to, to um, often to hang in there and really get the fullest benefit from it. You, you have to be able to find the grace and the strength to surrender to it. And in this context, surrender is not a show of weakness, it's actually a show of strength and trust. <clears throat> but that's a, that, that's a significant jump for a lot of people living in the modern world who are exposed to all sorts of uh, betrayals, disappointments, uh, things are not as they seem, so it's, it's understandable that people bring a certain amount of skepticism and uh, sometimes a, at least a latent instinct for self-defense uh, when one's sense of control of oneself or the circumstance they're in begins to slip away and, and uh, they realize that uh, they're not in charge anymore in that moment. That is actually a very empowering process. And what people find after 
having submitted themselves to this process is that when they come back into their uh, previously ordinary life space, they have a much greater sense of command of their own faculties and their own, uh, um, the mastery of their own space. It's, it's a very empowering kind of a thing. And as long as one stays really focused in the, in the heart consciousness and doesn't go where the ego resides and in, in their minds, uh, there's always um, a sense of humility and gratitude attached to that. You know, you, you realize that you're stronger, uh, you have great, a greater sense of your own human potential and your capacity to not just to deal with your own life issues, but to help other people. Um, <clears throat> shamanism is in its pure essence a path of service. But in order to be of service, one must become fit for service. So the proper first focus and emphasis in anyone's relationship with ayahuasca is to focus on your own needs and your own healing, uh, defined as accurately and correctly as you can through your own formation of intention, and then being open to new things being presented to you by the medicine coming from a deeper subconscious or uh, level <clears throat> that sometimes our conscious mind is not aware of. So those things come to us and, and we have a greater realization of where we're coming from, where we are, what our true condition is, what the real cause of our condition is, so that we can get in there and, uh, and resolve it uh, <clears throat> at, a, at its core. Because sometimes you look at these physical conditions, people can't explain why I'm having back pain. They no. don't understand, but it's because they're carrying this trauma and it's manifesting itself in, in the physical as well. Exactly, exactly. But the physical pain is not the cause, it's a symptom. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so, by uh, all shamanic healing is focuses on, uh, on the, the uh, cause of the condition, much more than, than uh, symptoms. Whereas Western medicine tends to focus more on alleviating symptoms and in some cases deals with, with the cause, but in, in, particularly in the case of psychosomatic illness and, and uh, uh, psychological conditions like depression, which is, has many roots sometimes. Um, contemporary Western medicine actually has no real answers to that other than to uh, mask the symptoms. Or just keep giving you surgery. I mean, if you have a, a back problem caused by storing childhood trauma, you get surgery on your back, it's going to then manifest itself in your shoulder <laughs> or in other health issues. And so, and so I think that's what part of the tragedy is of Western medicine is that, like you're saying, it just never really gets to, to the core root of the problem. Yeah. Do you think that ayahuasca, we're seeing it now spread all over the world. Do you think ayahuasca wants to be spread? Do you think ayahuasca is trying to heal humanity? I mean, what do you, what do you think is going on here with this? Um, I'm sure you've noticed uh, an increase in, in just not only the amount of media coverage about ayahuasca, but the amount of people partaking in ceremonies. Why, why do you think it's spreading around the world? Well, first of all, I think the idea that ayahuasca wants to do this is a projection of what people want. Mm -hmm. So it's not what ayahuasca wants, it's what humanity needs. And so the, um, the emergence of this is based on a relatively recent discovery of this by the Western world. And, um, you know, there's a certain subjectivity to how people perceive ayahuasca based on their own attitude, what they're looking for, what, what they think it is based on how it's presented by the media and, and through 
whatever channels they, they become aware of it. Um, but I think that I think it offers um, the kinds of answers that a lot of people are looking for uh, if they are wired right for it. But not everybody is. It would be a mistake to think that ayahuasca is a panacea that's good for everybody and that everybody should take ayahuasca. That would be a naive perception of it and it would reflect, uh, you know, um, a more subjective relationship. It's easy to it's easy to take that position if your relationship with it has been positive and and, and gratifying and good things have come from it. But it's not all in the cup. And how ayahuasca is is uh, undertaken, the setting, the set, uh, how it's guided, how it's administered, has as much to do with the outcome as as simply drinking it. Um, Taken under the wrong circumstances, ayahuasca can do harm. Ayahuasca can be dangerous. So taking it under any circumstance is not uh, um, the best approach, and that has never been the approach in traditional practice. Uh, it's always been done ceremonially, in a ritual fashion, in a controlled setting, and conducted by ostensibly by people with uh, great depth of personal experience with it and then training in how to administer it to others because different people are going to take it in different ways. Some people will be very traumatized by it. That trauma can be ameliorated by uh, proper management of their energy and state uh, during the intensive phase. And virtually inevitably people land as they come out of the intensive uh, in a stable uh, state, sometimes takes maybe a day, sometimes maybe a couple of days to, to completely ground and, and uh, settle in that. Uh, but everybody, you know, for the most part, comes comes out of it better than they went in. So, how can someone choose a reliable healer? How what are the signs of someone who's who's doing it right? Because obviously, down here, I, I was so amazed with your work and and your respect for the tradition and, and the sacred and it's been such a relief for me because along the path I, I didn't always have the most responsible shamans and and I always wish I'd had someone give me like a not necessarily a checklist but just some ideas of ways to know that you're working with uh, a good healer is there any advice you can give to people for for choosing their shaman well it goes back to those criteria I mentioned earlier, and that is the, um, the most important qualification is integrity. Um, actual personal experience with the medicine and the kind of training that, that one has had uh, determines the qualifications in terms of the, the, their technical ability to administer it safely and well. And, and to uh, predictably get the best results from it. But um, knowing, who, knowing the person that you're going to work with is, is, is important. And that might be through your own direct personal experience with them, uh, direct contact, or through a trusted reference, you know. But um, in general, it's not a good idea to meet someone 
in the afternoon and that and then that night go into an ayahuasca ceremony with them because um, you're going in, in many cases one's going to be completely stripped down of their normal defensive mechanisms and uh, it, it can create a rather profound sense of insecurity sometimes if you're not pretty comfortable with the setting and with the people you're, you're uh, engaging it with. But to be honest, the majority of people right now in the world who are presuming to administer ayahuasca and conduct ceremonies are totally unqualified to do so. <laughs> they may have good intentions, but they simply don't have the knowledge, the skill, the experience. Experience with ayahuasca is measured in, in years, even decades, not two dozen ceremonies or 50 or 100 even. People are still actually doing their personal work at that level and they're, they're, they're not yet really qualified to give ayahuasca to others because they, uh, there, there are so many permutations of outcome in knowing how to, how to respond, how to deal with those, those scenarios. So, um, again, that's somewhat of a Western notion that's based on uh, the idea, I think, to be honest, that um, because the modern Western mind is better educated, that somehow we have a higher aptitude for this and we can learn it quicker than people have learned it through the ages, over centuries or even millennia. The typical apprenticeship in training to work with ayahuasca in traditional practice is eight to ten years. And that's not three or four times a year. <laughs> that's eight to ten years doing it at least monthly, usually several times monthly, and working in ceremony with someone who already knows um, what they're doing and how to do it, and and simply learning through repetitive exposure to uh, technique, and then learning from situations and scenarios that come up, uh, you know, in the course of the practice. So it's um, it's best learned through uh, long-term assistance to someone who has already attained a certain level of mastery of it. In many cases, it, in the current scenario, it, um, it's kind of like the blind leading the blind in certain mm -hmm. ways. People are trying to conduct ceremony and trying to be something that they aspire to be, but they aren't yet. <laughs> and the intentions are good. I, and I rarely question people's intentions in this regard, but I can quickly question their qualifications which is evident based on how they, how they hold the space, how they set it up, uh, how they conduct it, and how they deal with the uh, outcome, you know, and helping people uh, integrate, setting people on the right course for integration, and doing that in a way that doesn't um, intervene too much in that process, because it's very personal. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> it's not something that, an out, uh, that a, a, a third person can uh, very effectively um, influence after a while you know so if most of these shamans they don't know what they're doing they're not trained how do you how do people get past that i mean do you just should you just shouldn't trust them and, well, and partake I, in these I, ceremonies i would, I, I would or? say that you know it's it, it has been you know 10 to 20 years ago it was a, it was a far less complex landscape than it is now because of this very factor mm -hmm. and um I would say that it's a scenario now of seeker beware, seeker be discriminating. Uh, look for look for uh, 
some level of expertise and qualification other than someone who can simply serve you ayahuasca, for example. In our practice, uh, w one, one good way to know, uh, actually, is uh, does, does the practitioner approach it as a process or do they approach it as a singular experience? To us, the administration of ayahuasca to a person just one time in a single ceremony is tantamount to malpractice. That's simply because everything doesn't happen in one ceremony. It's the beginning of a process. And it requires more than one exposure in order for that process to run its course. And usually in a cycle of work, uh, people reach a point of temporal closure where they've had enough. And now it's time to assimilate, integrate, digest what you've been given. And that's something that should ideally happen over several weeks, if not two or three months at least, before one begins to think about doing it again. So you're saying it's best for people to maybe say they're in need of healing to come down to the Amazon for a 10-day, you know, four-ceremony session like you do versus just doing a one-off ayahuasca session and one-off in someone's backyard and precisely in the that, US. that that uh -huh. that may be entertaining and people may have a sense of getting getting something out of it, but they they. In most cases, they don't have an, a, a real sense of the actual full potential of that connection. So they get a little bit of benefit, whereas in a proper um, cycle of work, they, they might get a, a major life-changing benefit that really lasts. Um, the, the singular things tend to often have a dramatic effect in the short run, but they don't necessarily uh, affect the, the life changes that... Uh, is is really the the um, measure of, of of the benefit of it? Serious work with ayahuasca being a cycle and a process, and um, the minimum sequence in a cycle that one should try to do uh, is three ceremonies over a period of seven to ten days. A fourth ceremony is beneficial. Sometimes is providing an opportunity for makeup work in the process. Uh, not every ayahuasca ceremony is equally intense, nor is every ceremony equally gratifying in the short term. And often after people have had time to reflect on it and, uh, you know, really integrate a bit, looking back, they often see that much more happened in a given ceremony than they thought at the time. And they see how it all lines up and, and uh, connects together. But the other the other. Uh, criterion really about uh, in the administration of ayahuasca is that here no genuine practitioner of ayahuasca shamanism would would ever even think of administering ayahuasca that they themselves didn't make. So when people are acquiring ayahuasca from some other source and then serving it in ceremony, one has to question how really connected are they and how much do they really know about this medicine if they have to buy it from somebody else in order to conduct their ceremony. Uh, and the re one of the reasons for that is the uh, energetic composition of ayahuasca is more than just the plants that are blended together to make it. There's a very strong uh, peripheral energetic aspect to it. One of the things that I was first taught by my original maestra uh, over 20 years ago when I first started working with ayahuasca was that ayahuasca is like a magnet. And that was a bit, a 
abstract to me at the time. And, uh, and then I began to, but that stuck in my mind, I began to notice how ayahuasca tends to draw energy around it, incorporate it into its own essence. So ideally, ayahuasca is made in a natural setting surrounded by nature where the energy of nature is uh, drawn into it in its making. As you know, here we make the ayahuasca in a, uh, we have an ayahuasca kitchen out in the forest and we would never make ayahuasca in a kitchen or in a city or in, in an urban environment because of the mixed energy uh, present there that uh, can be drawn into the medicine. And that's true for the human the human intentions around it as well. You know, the maker should have a very keen focus uh, and intention uh, with for the purpose of healing, if in fact the medicine is being made for that. But ayahuasca can have different qualities, and all ayahuasca does not have strong healing properties because that's not the energy that's been put in it. It's interesting you say that because I felt that at different ceremonies I've attended, I've had completely different experiences, some being very mild, some being extremely healing. Yeah. And so ayahuasca, I mean, it's spreading whether anyone can control it or not. It's, I, I think my biggest fear is the press misrepresenting it and making it seem like more of a fad. Uh, the New York Times put ayahuasca in the fashion and style section instead mm -hmm. of the actual health Mm -hmm. section, mm -hmm. which which I thought was a shame considering the incredible amount of journalists and resources they had. Mm -hmm. uh, also, I, I find that um, I, I also worry a little bit about the tourism angle and whether, you know, all of this, the uh, tourism is accurately being reported on and people are being told all of the aspects of it. Uh, something that you don't like is the word ayahuasca tourism. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and why, yeah, why is that? I, I think because I think it, it is being portrayed as is a tourist type. Let's go, you know, just like you would go and um, visit or, or go scuba diving or or go on vacation. This is kind of being looked at as as just a, a recreational activity. Precisely, which is precisely why I think the uh, association of those words is uh, somewhat contradictory to what it is, and it presents a. a a denigrating image of ayahuasca to people who are just learning about it and getting their first, you know, how first impressions are lasting impressions. And uh, so my concern now is the, is the um, portrayal of ayahuasca, not just in how it's done, but the, uh, the expanding venues in which it's done, many of which are, and, I'm, I'm, and I, in no way am I saying none of these are, are legitimate, valid, and, and beneficial, but um, one has to be discriminating in deciding what's right for them, and it's not necessarily what's most convenient. Um, <clears throat> but the concept of ayahuasca tourism has shifted the landscape dramatically in the last five to eight years here in the Amazon. And it has begun to erode the uh, the general attitude and respect for it, even in the uh, even in the local culture. It's now increasingly seen as a touristic uh, commodity, and in the minds of many people, less and less as a traditional healing practice. And uh, more and more people are drawn to it um, for the experience of it rather than for the results of it. 
So I think the media now has the opportunity to self-correct in how it's portrayed. I think that's the most important uh, thing is how it's portrayed and, you know, basically avoiding the impression that it is simply the latest drug fad. In fact, it's... Uh, drug tourism. It, it, it's, it's offensive to me and to the medicine to even call it a drug. That, that is, that's a Western concept that usually has a, um, um, a somewhat hedonistic or, or uh, at least recreational context in popular culture. Um, there also is a tendency at now for, for uh, other substances that are quite different in many uh, ways from ayahuasca or wachuma, the, uh, the traditional plant medicines, to just refer to everything now as medicine, even when it's not. <laughs> there are drugs and there are medicine. All drugs aren't medicine. Many drugs are medicine also, but all drugs aren't medicine. So when that term begins to be applied as a uh, uh, kind of as a way of legitimizing it, you know, then that begins to blur the distinction uh, between uh, legitimate medicines that are uh, uh, primarily applied for purposes of healing and and other substances that are more usually applied because they make you feel good. Ayahuasca is contrary to that. One could say that ayahuasca is something of an anti-drug. Uh, it's not something that anyone should, should uh, pursue or embrace um, for the purposes of, of immediate feel-good gratification. Usually it goes the other way in the beginning and then you feel good after it's over. And then you feel good for a long time in your everyday life because things have been realigned. You know, your balance has been restored in your life. A lot of things that were out of kilter or uh, in need of healing or fixing have been repaired. And so most people come out of it with a renewed vigor for life, a, re a much more positive outlook, it's one of the typical outcomes with people who've suffered depression, sometimes for years, is there's just an attitudinal shift that's reflected in the way they look, the way they act, the way they engage life, and rarely is there a slippage in that. People usually don't go back, don't backslide very much once they get to that point. And it's because the um, causative factors have been addressed. You know, healing has occurred at the, at the source of the problem. That's the beauty of it. But this is, this is determined as much by um, how it's done and where and with whom as, as simply by, by taking the medicine. I think something else that I've, in addition to healing, uh, ayahuasca has really shown me why I'm here. Um, potential insights about the creation of mankind and, and insights about the universe. And that's just been really beautiful because a lot of those are opposite of what we've been told by religion and in western culture and so it's bringing back the magic and excitement into into my life and i'm sure in your 22 years of working with ayahuasca you've had some of these downloads and insights and we're running out of time but before we go is there anything in particular that stands out in your mind, uh, some type of knowledge download you've been given by the medicine that you'd like to leave people with that, that may give them uh, a little more hope or, or excitement to be alive? 
I think I think probably the the greatest gift of ayahuasca is a realization of our our own personal human potential and the potential of humanity to rise above that which has held us back for so long to uh, find answers and solutions to uh, the inequities and the um, uh, the pain and suffering that exists in the world around us and become a part of the solution uh, rather than continue to be a part of the problem. Everybody's part of the problem, uh, but all of us can also be part of the solution. And so the more benefit we realize on a personal level with this, the more we can um, be helpful to other people, whether it's uh, not necessarily by introducing them to ayahuasca, but by opening their their eyes and opening their hearts to a better way of living. And the best way to do that is by, through your own shining example. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not a, a, a proponent of proselytization of shamanism or the sacred plants. I trust and believe very strongly in their own ability to do the calling. So those who have um, uh, chosen a path of service in association with that, um, you know, provide the service, uh, but generally don't do the calling. Uh, that's something that's a mystical message that uh, emanates from the spirit of the medicine itself and cuts across all the boundaries. It can reach the farthest corners of the planet and is, you know, people are becoming aware of this uh, through means other than the media, too. It's not all just uh, media conveyance of, of this. And I, I couldn't explain it, why I was going down and, you know, my co-workers were having me give them passwords to our, my email accounts and stuff in case I didn't return because I couldn't <laughs> believe I was just taking this journey by myself. Yeah. And it has so turned my life right side up. It's just been... Uh, incredible and one of the beautiful gifts I've been given by your ceremonies Don Howard is the uh, ability to love myself mm -hmm. I uh, the ayahuasca showed me many times that I give so much of my love to others but not back to myself yeah. and one night I was sitting lying in bed and it was almost like I just come out of the ayahuasca ceremony and I just started hearing this voice saying you need to love yourself you need to love yourself and it felt as if the ayahuasca had picked me up it was picking me up out of bed, so I, I literally like got up out of bed, and and I just felt this force guiding me into the bathroom, and it made me look at myself in the mirror, mm -hmm. and for the first time in my life, I actually looked at myself as another being, as a being that that needs love, and it was like I separated into two people: to the person who needs to do the loving, and and to this being that needs love. Mm -hmm. And I felt so guilty that I had given love to so many people, but not necessarily enough to myself. And, and I looked at these two beings, looked at one another, and one of them said, I love you. Mm -hmm. and, and I felt it for the first time, not in my head, but in my heart. I felt, I felt love for myself. Mm -hmm. and, and what a gift that is. And how many of us are out there that we don't show that love toward ourselves. We just give it to others. And, and it really showed me that if we can all love ourselves and heal ourselves collectively, we'll see dramatic change as a whole. And it all starts with the ability, personal healing starts with the ability to love yourself. And, and that was just so beautiful. I can't think of, of, of anything more magical that, than that. And uh, I had another experience where the medicine showed me that as part of my self-love, I also need to love my body. 
And so it had me go through uh, one by one and thank my organs because <laughs> <laughs> the ayahuasca told me, well, in, in your 31 years of life, you've never even thanked your body, this amazing machine that is, has been helping you survive. And so I went and I, I thanked my heart and I said, thank you for not stopping beating for 31 years. I appreciate it. <laughs> you know, apologize to my lungs for the cigarettes I smoked in college and, you know, uh, and then thought of an image of my colon and, and thanked it and it said, you know, it's a dirty job, but someone's got to do it. <laughs> and, uh, and I just have been given such a gift of self-love and I'm just beaming right now with not only love for the universe, but uh, also love for myself. And another gift I've been given during on your, uh, on your ayahuasca journeys was I was, I was shown uh, an image of, of the earth and I was shown mankind on the earth. And at first there were just two people and then... 10 people, and then a million people, and then 7 billion people, and I saw people just covering the earth, and then I saw it start flashing black and red, and black and red, and I saw the wars, and the destruction, and the fighting, and I felt the pain that Mother Nature is going through right now, and the urgency for transformation, and that was the insight I was given, is we need to collectively dramatically change consciousness as soon as possible, because there's a, a serious illness going on on the planet that we need to heal and that's something that's given me a lot of drive to move forward in my work to to expand consciousness and and it's shown me that that healing collectively begins at the individual level and through these medicines like ayahuasca we're empowered to do so so uh thank you <laughs> it's the only answer for the future yeah really, is the medicine for the times is, is consciousness the growth of consciousness and growth of the collective consciousness but that really happens one person at a time even though it's happening simultaneously on countless fronts even as we speak so things are in motion and we're all a part of that and um, I think the best way we can pass that through is just to reflect it in our own lives and uh, in the light that we shine uh, for others such a simple concept. Just heal yourself, shine your light, and then you can you can change the world. And you know, love like charity begins at home. So it's it's about finding that sense of deep, compassionate love for ourselves, which enables us to extend that to others. You know, so when you love yourself a lot, you have more to give give to others too, as you've just learned. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Uh, we're actually sitting at the table where we're about to participate in a Wachuma ceremony, which is another incredible plant medicine. We'll have a podcast in the future to discuss that. Okay. I'm re I really look forward to, to talking about that because I felt like that has really helped open my heart to mm. accept more self-love and, and mm. can help many people as well. But for those people listening, how can they get in touch with your work, Don Howard, and, and connect with you, say they're interested in coming to the center? Well, uh, we have a website, and the um, address is www.biopark.org. And uh, people could also send me an email with a personal uh, introduction. And participation in our work is, is um, screened for motive, intention, safety considerations. Uh, it's not exclusive, but it's selective and we try to invite the people who have the, the best potential for, for benefit from it 
and who bring the best uh, the best intentions to it. All right. Well, it has been it's been an honor to be in your presence and and to learn from you on on this journey I've been taking with these medicines and um, and I can't thank you enough for all the healing and for sharing your knowledge with our audience. It's thank a you. Pleasure to do it. Thank you very much.